Welcome to America's Cannabis Conversation at americascannabisconversation.com. And here's your host, Dan Perkins. Welcome back to the conversation. And joining us today is a gentleman who has been on our show before, Dr. Cass Ingram. And we're going to have a long conversation today about cannabis and the chemical aspects of cannabis and what it could do for us. Dr. Ingram, welcome back to the show. Sure, absolutely. So let's talk about, in our last show, we ended, we ran out of time, and you were talking about the chemical situation in cannabis. Yeah. And, and I thought we would start off this uh, this show with t- letting you a chance to finish that particular portion. So, sure. Well, I don't know what it is, why this plant is that way. Uh, it's an interesting leaf. It's an interesting growth. It has a fascinating history. But it's one of the few sources of something called cannabinoids, in the, you know, in a large quantity of them. Another good one is hops. But cannabis takes the cake. It's got something like 80 cannabinoids. And there's two, two categories. There's the hardcore cannabinoids, which we know as CBD, which is a misnomer, really. You know, we're talking about tetrahydrocannabinol and, and, and cannabinoid substances. But also the terpenes. So say 16% is the cannabinoids, say 2 or 3% is the terpenes, and they work together. Uh, the, what's important is that the terpenes contain something called BCP, which is beta-caryophyllene. And BCP is in just about anything that you might love to have, and you don't need much of it, and you still get this interesting effect. You know, BCP, which is a cannabinoid, is, is found in cinnamon, sage, rosemary, oregano, chamomile, hops, basil, so many of the things we use only in small quantities. Rosemary. How much rosemary can you put on lamb? You're going to ruin it. Mm-hmm. And how much oregano can you put in a pizza? If you put too much, it's not good. Mm-hmm. So there's something in We all love these. We love our cinnamon, but we're not going to put two teaspoons in the cappuccino. <laughs> True. Right? Uh, so there, the, these, these cannabinoids are so powerful that they feel make you feel mood elevation. That's the secret that nobody's telling you. So you know it's helping this, these these soldiers or whatever for their PS their their their, their psychic issues. Why? Mm-hmm. How could smoking something or taking CBD or taking what I like, which is the full spectrum, how could taking five drops help a seizure? which has been published and, sh- and shown to be the case, by the way. Yeah, I saw, uh, speaking of seizures, I saw the story about this little girl who was having 300 seizures a day, young, a young child, and they, they petitioned the court to give her some, some uh, full-spectrum CBD, and the seizures went from 300 to 3. Well, that, I mean, that's just how. It only is because it's an herbal medicine, and it has... This neuroactive substance, you know, BCP uh, and the cannabinoids, the various 80 of them, they have the ability to go in the brain, tell you how the mechanism is. And once they're in there, neuroregeneration, so stroke, Lou Gehrig's disease, multiple sclerosis, 
you know from MS how many of them have Parkinson's, epilepsy, autism, all have a chance with this banned drug. Mm. Yeah, it's just and we have so we have as we spoke in our last show, we have we're way behind the curve given that we've been illegal for such a long time of doing research that could dramatically improve the quality of life for millions upon millions of people. Oh yeah. Doctor, I want yeah. I want to I want to pick up on something you mentioned and that was terpenes. Uh, I, if I'm reading it correctly, I'm seeing more and more dispensaries offering terpenes as a standalone product. Well, see, the, the, the chance, challenge is that when you use propane, listen to this one, propane and butane, you destroy most of the terpenes. So anytime a solvent extraction has occurred, but if you use alcohol, you can probably conserve them. So they may not be using the terpenes in their CBD, but then they're offering them separately. They're in the hemp. They can extract them. Uh, so, so there's three things to think about. If you're using heat, it drives them off. If you're using petrochemical solvents, they're destroyed. Or maybe you use an ethanolic extract or CO2, which is the best, and you can keep those terpenes. Did you just this really study proves that, by the way, where they did, took chronic pain people and they gave them a full-spectrum, unprocessed CO2 extract of a cultivar. They wanted to patent it. And they gave them CBD. And the CBD people had to have increasing and increasing, I think it was an animal study, increasing and increasing dose, and then it fell flat. But the full-spectrum, whole, unprocessed, raw, no problem. It just kept working. So, so, the, so the terpenes, they seem to be positioning the, the terpenes as flavor additives or, or, or give you certain elements of that how the experience will be affected by different terpenes. I know. All kind of stuff. But that's partly because of my work because I kept telling them you got to not destroy those and and now I'm just telling you the best thing to do is to find some kind of cannabis or or hemp where they don't where the terpenes are still intact. The two three percent is right in the final product. That's going to be probably ethanolic, and even better is uh, a CO2 extraction or maybe a coconut oil type of thing. It's going to be dependent. Hemp is a very delicate plant, really delicate. It's not like an aromatic plant like sage or, you know, you, you see sagebrush and they put strings around it. It's the same. You find it 10 years from that, from now. It's still the same. Mm. Aromatic plants are tough. Oregano is tough. Cinnamon is tough. Cinnamon sticks. You might have them in your cupboard 100 years. They're still cinnamon sticks. But right. it's not hemp. Hemp will, hemp will mold. and You've got to treat that product gently. And that's going to be, and the Victorians found it out. You do an ethanolic extract, you hit and miss. Uh, now we have the CO2 technology. You know that what that is. That's just CO2 under pressure. So, so but I would let me encourage ask you, everybody to start using that method. Let me ask you a question because you're 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 opening up a huge window for me. You're saying CO2, the thing that the environmentalists think will destroy us. You're saying that is the best process by which to extract. The maximum benefit from oh yeah, see it's in a tank, right? So mm -hmm. you 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 pressurize the CO2, and you run the herb through that pressurized CO2, 
and the carbon dioxide, which oh, is still a part of life, right? You know, trees trap it, and they use it, and they send out oxygen. But, you know, there's a bit of a scam in this anyway. But, yeah, so that <laughs> it's, it's a special technique with a $250,000 machine or whatever, and you get this muck. This is a crude muck of everything that's in the hemp stalk, flower, leaves, whatever. And, you, you know, might as well use the whole spectrum. Quit messing around with the solvents, trying to play like you're going to do the terpenes here and the cannabis here and this flavor episode and that one. What's the latest one? Bubblegum series? You know, it's a herb. The Victorians found out when they processed it too much, it ruined it, and they couldn't mm-hmm. get the results. I'm getting results because I'm using unprocessed material. You know, so. Do you do you grow your own, or do you get it from somebody else? Well, I, I'd love to. I pretty much just say to companies, okay, find it, which is difficult enough to do, and see if you can get some organic material but only do CO2 extraction, which is really tough to find because, like I said, 50% is with 30% with ethanol, maybe 10 or 20% is left. Uh, and they find it, and I use that clinically. I get really good results uh, with seizures. What kind, with addiction, I was going to say, with, what, what kind of, what kind of cases are you, are you using it to treat? Well, I'm using it for autism right now. I have a special one that I mice, I find mycelized. It's called Hemp Alive. It's it. Uh, I'm having it for insomnia, epilepsy, autism, ADD, ADHD, anxiety, nervousness, uh, tremors. I'm using it for these deep autistic kids, especially. I've been so. I'm, in fact, I've written a book about autism. I don't have it done yet. I've been so wanting to help, just as you, these terribly traumatized cases. And uh, so I'm getting results. I mentioned alcohol addiction. I'm getting results. No. Doctor, guy, I, yeah. I'm sorry. You go, go ahead, please. Well, just a guy was a terrible alcoholic. He took, he took full-spectrum hemp. It wasn't that. And he, got, he, he, quit, he quit the booze. It took only one month. So there's there's something to it. It's not uh, like testimonial or what does they call that? Uh, it's not happenstance. It's not coincidence. It's working. Doctor, there's a uh, I I in our last few minutes here, I just wanted to 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 focus on one particular issue. M- many years ago, I heard this story and and I've I've used it, adapted it for what you're talking about. It's a story about two men sitting on a log, and. Um, taking their lunch break and one turns to the other and says, so what do you think is the, the greatest thing ever invented? And the other man turns to him and says, a thermos bottle. And the guy <laughs> looks at him and says, a thermos bottle? Why a thermos bottle? He says, because it keeps hot things hot and it keeps cold things cold. Okay, see. Then, he, then he says, how does it know? How does it know to do that? <laughs> And I use that story to, to get to the question. Doctor, one of the things that, that confounds me that I still haven't been able to get my hands around is you just went through a whole list of things that can be positively affected by one plant. How is that possible? It knows what it knows. It's like the thermos. It's, it's just, it has an intelligence in it. It's what the divine being created for us. And that intelligence has been known for 10,000 years at least. 
They didn't know what they had. And it just goes to work doing this job. And remember I mentioned neuroregeneration. Can you think of an autistic or stroke or MS person or seizure person that doesn't need a little of that? Mm -hmm. Dem cell production? It has that ability. So, it's so it, it, in essence, uh, as a, from a layman's standpoint, whatever you have when you take the cannabis, for some reason, the cannabis is able to determine what you have and what is, should be extracted out of what you're taking to help deal with what if you, you have. If you use cannabis as it is in nature, somehow you process it, but you don't ruin it, it mm -hmm. still has the intelligence to go right to the disease process situation for what it's indicated for. Pain, addiction, nervous system issues, to some degree uh, cardiac, uh, agitation, schizophrenia, obsessive compulsive, depression, insomnia. It has specific value. That's why they've used it for 10,000 years until our cartels decided against it. Remember George yeah. Washington. And Thomas Jefferson, it was mandatory to grow this stuff in the British Empire that if you didn't, you get thrown in jail. They used it for their ropes and sails. You had to grow uh, hemp, and it was all over the country and disappeared. Wow. It's been a wonderful to have you back on and uh, great insight, and I appreciate the time that you've given us. We're talking to Dr. Cass Ingram. Doctor, how can people follow you and what you're doing? If they just go to CassIngram.com, maybe I'll follow this up with a little podcast too. CassIngram.com uh, and get the podcast, the, vid the t videos, and then the book, The Cannabis Cure and the Hemp Oil Miracle. Thank you for joining us today, Doctor. You betcha. If you missed any of this terrific, enlightening interview with Dr. Ingram, please go to to americascannabisconversation.com and go to the archive section and look for the show, the two shows with Dr. Cass Ingram. And we'll be right back. Time now for the lowdown on another high time experience. Here's 420 lifestyle correspondent Rich Walkoff. All right, with cannabis legalization movement, I guess the founding fathers seem to always get top billing. But don't forget the Puffrajets, the Mary Janes. And we have one of the original pioneers of the cannabis advocacy, the hemp bus touring maven, the wonderful Andre Special. Andre, 30 years ago, you and the legendary Jack Herrera went on a hemp tour in a redesigned school bus. That must have been epic. Does it feel like 30 years? And what a great launch you had to help make cannabis legal for everybody in California and many of the states of this country. My goodness, thank you so much. What an introduction. Um, it feels like longer than 30 years, I'm telling you. It's been such a long, strange trip, as they say, you know, and um, we used to say cannabis years are like dog years. You know, I think <laughs> even more than that. Um, uh, but just to see where we've come now, you know, we used to sit on the bus and dream of, of a day like this. And we really thought it could happen, which is why we worked so hard to make it happen. But the fact that here we are, um, you know, as challenging as here we are is, or, or is right now, um, yeah. 
here we are. And um, what we used to say on the bus is the most important thing is to get access to the most people. And we truly, truly thought that if you get cannabis inside the bodies and the, and the souls and the minds of, of the populace, then we can start talking about a lot of other things to help change the world. So, yeah. I mean, that's how we really felt on the bus. <laughs> Well, did you take a page from Jack Kerouac, the electric Kool-Aid acid test and that kind of, you know, wacky bus? What was the bus like? Who was on board? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And there was crossover and we we would do events with some of the same people from from then. And and it, it was just amazing. Um, it, it was a time. Um, it was a really odd time, you know, in uh, like 1990, um, where cannabis or, you know, we called it marijuana, weed, it was a dirty word. It literally, if you started talking about it, it was if you were talking about harming children, because that's what everything always went to. Oh, you're going to harm the children. So right. um, it, it was literally like that. And yep. um, you'd see somebody wearing a pot shirt or something and you'd like high five them, you know, walking down the street or be like, yes, you know, maybe yeah. end up going and smoking a joint together. Um, but, uh, you know, so me, me meeting Jack was a life changing event. It's, it was literally like being struck out of, uh, by lightning out of the blue. Um, I had, uh, aged out of the system and had spent a lot of my childhood moving around here and there, different places, um, group homes, foster homes, and um, just was really pissed off at the system, to be honest. And, um, and I met Jack and it, it gave me some place to put my passion and my anger and my desire to change the system, um, a really positive pathway to do that. And, and that's why I'm here where I am today. And that's awesome. Yeah. You know, they take you, you turn shit into fuel, right? Exactly. You, you the fertilizer to, to mine a better world for yourself. Were you guys hassled on the hemp tour bus? Because you were, that was a classic hippie bus. And I imagine you had the red flag everywhere you went. We did. And I had no idea what I was getting myself in for. Um, Jack was, you know, it's it's weird. I don't want to use the word profit, but I want to use the word profit. I mean, pretty much anybody that got in front of Jack was just climbing on the bus. I mean, um, uh, he was my neighbor and we started talking about it one day and he said, do you, do you like weed uh, or do you like hemp? And I said, what's hemp? And he said, weed. Do you like weed? I was like, hell yeah. You know, and next thing you know, he started educating me. Um, I started working the hemp booth in Venice Beach. Um, uh, he was just putting out his book, um, The Emperor Wears No Clothes, which was life changing for so many people. Pretty much everybody that has read that book, you know, including my grandmother was just like, wow. Um, and so that's what we did when we were on the bus. We really, really... Um, We'd photocopy things out of the book and, um, uh, um, you know, the, the most important things and hand it out at rallies and stuff. Um, we would go everywhere. We would go to the parking lot and the Grateful Dead shows. And somehow there'd always be an amazing spot up front for us, ready to go. 
Um, we'd go to schools. Um, we went to Humboldt State one time and in honor of Jack Cumming, the students had taken over the um, administrative offices for a 24 hour bongathon um, because they were also protesting that they, uh, the school had come in that year and, and swept up everybody's plants from the dorms. <laughs> this is Humboldt, you know, in 1990. And, um, and I'll never forget, we got off the bus and people were screaming hemp, hemp, hooray. And, you know, a couple people were throwing <laughs> handfuls of buds and I got a bud stuck in my hair and I was like, wow, this is amazing. You know, oh. and um, other times there would literally be people protesting us. Um, we had church groups come out, like, you know, five, six, seven people protesting. It was the oddest thing. And um, Jack had a like 300 year old Bible made of hemp. And, you know, he'd go up to people and say, look at this Bible. This is made of hemp. Is this is this evil? You know, and you could just see people's minds. You know, that was the thing about Jack is he would open everybody's minds. And he was just so kind and sure of his knowledge and so wanted to share his knowledge. Um, it was amazing, <laughs> yeah. Well, he was a father figure, it sounds like, to you. He he was, he absolutely was somebody that I looked up to in a way, and, and that's a great way to put it. Um, he used to, uh, you know, a lot of us that were on the bus with Jack call ourselves Jack's kids. Um, he used to point to be, me and be like, yeah, she's my fault, you know, or mm. I, I did that, you know, and- yeah. um, and, and it was a joke. And the thing, you know, about Jack that was amazing is, you know, we, we spent a lot of time very close together on the bus, Jack with young women and stuff. And he was truly like a father figure to us. It, you know, it was just wonderful. It was just wonderful to be, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, especially back then, the the cannabis scenes or, you know, the drug scenes or whatever were, were kind of you know, pretty sexist, you know, and it, it wasn't like that on the bus. It was just so empowering for everybody. It was really, really, truly amazing. Well, you know, he was a trailblazer and you too, as the uh, founding member of the Americans for Safe Access to Cannabis, a board member of Marijuana Policy Project, the director of the Great Cannabis Buyers Club of Berkeley, one of the iconic uh, dispensaries that founded 25 years ago. So you've stood the test of time, girl. How about that? Yep, yep. I, um, like I said, you know, before we started this, I get up every day and I am so happy to be alive and free. Um, and I would really, you know, I'd really love to talk about, you know, kind of some of what the, the, you know, the founding people had to go through to be here, because I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand. Um, but so <laughs> they're young or maybe uh, they didn't realize they weren't on the front lines like you were, but they wouldn't be enjoying easy access in 19 states now the Connecticut as of July 1 going to be the 19th state to have legal adult use and I think there are over 40 states with medical marijuana and I mean you're you're a, a big part of why it's it's a reality today so congratulations on that and I know that you've always emphasized compassion and taking care of those who, who need some help. So explain a little bit about your mission there at your cannabis club, the Cannabis Buyers Club of Berkeley, California. Um, okay, so um, 
yeah, uh, I'd like to talk about why, you know, how we went there. Sure. Um, is, is so important. And the history um, is that um, I spent time homeless. I mean, living outside on the street. In fact, for my entire pregnancy, I lived outside in San Francisco. And it was very, very difficult. Um, and so uh, after my daughter was born, I was able to get some services and get off the street and, um, you know, uh, resume my activism and uh, which, which led to, um, you know, the early, dis the, the early dispensary operators. Um, so there was people that opened as early as 1996. So I consider myself, you know, kind of in the next wave. There was just a handful in the state around that time. Um, and I opened my first dispensary in 2004. And um, I, I was, um, I opened it with about a $9,000. Um, back then we did, you went to the worst part in town um, that uh, nobody wanted to go to where landlords couldn't rent their buildings. Um, and you try to convince the landlord uh, into renting to you, you know, which usually meant at least double what they were asking. Um, and I, I opened with a partner um, and uh, we came from Americans for Safe Access. And we really at first, um, we really uh, wanted to do something um, to, to change the world. And um, I think I think that's something a lot of people don't realize is that a lot of the first wave or most of the first wave that I, that I know of, that I can think of, um, of people that uh, were opening dispensaries were either people that had been screwed by the system or um, had a loved one that died of AIDS or had AIDS themselves or had some sort of, you know, pretty much honestly nothing to lose because- right. We knew when you when we opened, we were facing 20 plus years in jail that they can come in any day, any time. And you know, that's part of my alive and free. Woo! I can't believe it, you know. Um, that they can come in any moment and everything is gone and you could, you know, be away from your family for 20 years. About that high anxiety in the not so fun high realm versus, as you say, now you're free and clear and you're legit. And here we are. It's a brave new world for you. But did you get busted? Did you get harassed and hassled by the lawman? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so um, I think I think a big part of what, um, you know, so our activism when we opened was we wanted to mostly give things away. And um, that's where my choose love comes from, um, is that the crazy thing that I learned is that the more we gave away, the more people with money wanted to be part of what we were doing. And so growers would come by and just, we had never heard of them or we didn't know who they were. They would drop, just drop weed off and, you know, a couple pounds and said, hey, we heard about your compassion program. Um, uh, a competitor, you know, a competitor, a, another dispensary operator, you know, this is years ago, same thing, came to my door one day and gave me a couple pounds and said, that's for your compassion program. I don't want to deal with that shit, wow. you know, but <laughs> he gave it to me, you know, so um, it was really cool. And then um, people wanted to be like, well, I want to buy my cannabis here because I want to support your programs. Um, and that led to, um, that led to us, we opened a community center right next door and we, um, we 
had a thing where to join our collective, you had to either give a class or take a class. And so um, with the community center, it was just a blank slate. And um, our, our patients, our you know, members filled it with the most amazing classes in the world that you've ever seen. Um, and we would trade people cannabis for giving the class. And so we had retired teachers that were doing tutoring at night, um, resume assistants, haircuts. I mean, we had, we had everything. It was really a beautiful, beautiful thing. And like I said, people that normally wouldn't even use those services that, that just wanted to buy their aids said, I want to spend my money here because my money goes towards the community center. That um, is awesome. yeah. so you, you, it's the classic laws of attraction. You're in a higher vibration. So the universe heard you and, and responded accordingly. And we look at the war on drugs 50 years and going all too strong in many respects. And I've seen advocates talk about the disproportionate disproportionate impact on minorities in the poor communities and you've done a lot to, to fight the good fight it's a 37 billion dollar interdiction spending on the war on drugs and, and a lot of people talking about we need more therapists and counselors and fewer cops and prison guards and i i think you could speak to that from your own experiences well absolutely i mean um uh the having cannabis be illegal wasn't just to mess with, um, you know, cannabis users. It literally did away with people's rights completely because all of a police officer had to say was, I smelled marijuana. So I went into their house. I searched their car. We all our rights went out the window. Um, if a cop said they smelled cannabis. And so, um, that was used to just you know, mess with so many people, like you said, mostly minorities, mostly marginalized um, communities, uh, because they don't do that. Yeah. in you know, in affluent communities. So it, it was a terrible, terrible thing. And I call it a war. It, it was terrorism. It, it was terrorism. So a lot of our activism of what we did with Americans for Safe Access was making sure that people didn't disappear into the federal system because that's what was happening is growers and, and you know people, people working in the cannabis space would catch a federal case and then just disappear off the face of the earth for 10 years, 20 years. And it was a horrible, horrible thing. So ASA did a campaign where we made sure that we had representatives in front of a, a court case every single day of the trial. And the other thing that a lot of people don't understand that was just one of the biggest travesties is um, in federal court, you could not mention anything about medical marijuana because the federal, um, the Fed said that medical marijuana didn't exist. And so um, the fact that there was a law in California um, went against the defendants because um, it wouldn't be mentioned at all. Uh, we would be protesting out front. I mean, we had protests where we'd have signs. You're not allowed to jury tamper, so you can't talk about that case specifically, but we would just be out front with cannabis um, signs and everybody that walked by, we'd say, we'd like to talk to you about jury nullification and what it means to be a juror and you know, vote your conscience. And so that's all we could do. Um, and uh, in this one case, Brian Epis, that we did, uh, the jury saw us outside and went to the judge and said, is this a medical marijuana case? And the judge had to dismiss the whole jury, bring in a new one and have them come in in a different way of the building. So they wouldn't see 
or get any wind that this was a medical marijuana case. And then so after people would be convicted, we the jurors, we'd wait for the jurors to come out and we'd say, did you know this was a medical marijuana case and, and talk to them and, and try to have press there. And, and they, you know, I spoke to one directly. They said, we're positive this is not a medical marijuana case because obviously they would have brought, brought it up. So we knew <laughs> that it wasn't medical marijuana. So it was just a terrible time. In the Brian Epis um, case, we, we had an amazing protest. We marched over a thousand people to the federal building um, to protest that he got 10 years in federal prison. Um, uh, Dr. Molly Fry um, and her husband, Dale Schaefer, you know, she was an early doctor writing recommendations and he was attorney helping people. They each got five years federal time. Um, I, I have an associate, Luke Scarmazzo, that um, was operating in Modesto, uh, which is the same as my original dispensary in Sacramento, which was the Eastern District. Um, and he got busted for operating a state legal cannabis dispensary. And he got 22 years in prison. He's still there in federal prison. So it, there was just terror in what we were doing. And in fact, I, so my first dispensary, um, Capital Wellness in Sacramento, um, I was living in Sacramento, but um, when I opened, I had to move to the Bay Area and do a three and a half hour a, a day a round trip commute. Um, because uh, Child Protective Services uh, have different rules um, per county. And so Sacramento County uh, has always been extremely conservative. Um, I had to, uh, and the Child Protective Services rule there was if you had any cannabis use whatsoever, um, it was grounds to lose your child. And I was, you know, I believe the only single mother operator um, at the time. And um, I actually had patients that had lost their children simply for cannabis use. One, uh, one a landlord called on him because um, they were in a, a landlord dispute and another um, was in a divorce proceeding and the, the other spouse turned them in for cannabis use, you know? And so um, again, these are all things that people, people don't know um, yeah. That, that we but, yeah this is not ancient news this is not like going back to the well this is the dark ages of uh, consciousness but not not talking about terribly long ago and people still in prison for possession or sale of an herb that is hey it, it, it it's it's medicine in every which way shape and form so that's outrageous and I love your grassroots advocacy right in more ways than one because that social activism helped turn the tide and change the laws and, and the way we look at cannabis today i i really appreciate you recognizing that and bringing that up because um i think again that's that's something people didn't realize that we had to do you know when we went in to our first place in sacramento it truly was in a horrible part of town and the whole block beside us was an empty parking lot that had been uh, turned into a dumping ground. So the first thing we did when we went in there is we cleared all that out, planted flowers, brought in a security guard. Um, we were really, really aware that we had to change people's hearts and minds. People really thought that we were coming in to hurt their neighborhood, to literally harm their children. Um, and so, 
I, I teamed up very closely with um, Shriners Hospital. They became one of our main uh, people uh, that we donated to. We, we became like top 1% of their donors of all time. Um, and, uh, and then teamed up with the Catholic Church um, to help fund a homeless preschool called um, uh, Mustard Seed. So that was, that was wonderful. So again, your compassion, your community activism was the opposite of the reefer madness, evil weed, you know, message that was being spouted in so many uh, right wing circles and in, in, in the federal government and the like. And, and you've always given discounts to veterans, to seniors, to people in need. So you, you've always put, you know, maybe the uh, the community ahead of what we can call compassionate capitalism, right? Isn't that a fair way to say it? You can have a heart and still be a capitalist. You don't have to do it without conscience, without soul, without a moral compass, yeah. right? And, you know, I give speeches and stuff and, and the, the speech title I give is called Love is the Best Business Model um, because we found that out accidentally. Like, I, you know, again, um, those of us that started at the beginning, you know, the person that inspired me um, was Dennis Perrone. Uh, when I was homeless in San Francisco, um, I went up into his club and I will never forget the, the kindness that I was shown there. Um, as, as somebody that's living on the street, um, real people, you're either completely invisible or you're just despised. And um, I literally went to his club. I was worried about where to leave my cart and they were like, park it right here. We, we got your cart, don't worry about it. You know, as if I was parking a Porsche and I went up and um, was given a free gram of weed and um, there was a barrel of apples and they said, take as, take as many apples as you need. And my mind was just blown. I, I hadn't been shown that type of kindness for a very long time. Um, well, although there there were places in the city that did, you know, churches and places that were, but I mean, it was just so unusual. Um, it, it really, it affected me in such a way I will never forget. Like that day I stood there and I said, someday I'm going to give away apples too, you know? And so at my dispensaries, we give away apples. Um, I love it. And so... Um, Again, I think, you know, Dennis came from a place where his partner died of AIDS and the, the early people, we just really, really wanted to do something to change the world. And turns out that's a great business model, apparently. <laughs> well, if you're changing it the right way. And I think the the apples in the, uh, the bucket go back to Bill Graham's days at the Fillmore way in the Grateful Dead days in the 60s and 70s. That was always, you know, walk in, grab an apple. So I guess that, you know, keep biting into the fruit of life, girl. That's exactly that really passes on and on. It's so yeah. it's so wonderful. And again, that that's also where I learned that the smallest things mean so much, really mean so much. Providing a space for people to come that are lonely to all come together, you know, like with a community center. Um, 
uh, or this is why, you know, having the smoking lounges are so important now, um, because there's a lot of people that just don't have community and they can build a community in the smoking lounge. I mean, it, it, it becomes very important, you know, at our, at, at my dispensaries, we, um, provide Thanksgiving dinner. Um, we're open on the holidays and we feed people. And a lot of people tell us like, you know, you're our family and, and I, I wouldn't have had dinner if it wasn't for you guys. So again, that's, that's really a part, I think of, of our social, everybody's social responsibility. You know, I, I'm so fortunate to not be in jail and to be here where I am today. I feel like that is my responsibility to give back to the communities that you operate in. Well, you're, you're coming from a pure place. By the way, are you smoking your cannabis brand special? <laughs> we'll give her a moment to to enjoy the uh, the good herb that she's thank you i'm very very proud of of my brand um yeah let me enjoy it very quickly yeah tell me uh, what's your special brand what's your uh, your strain du jour or your strain of choice or does it vary by time of day or state of mind absolutely absolutely so i <laughs> I do have a favorite. <laughs> it's Lemon Crush. Um, we won the Emerald Cup with it <laughs> uh, in 2017 and won again last year um, for Breeders' Choice uh, with a farm that we've teamed up with, Molecular Farms. Just the most amazing uh, farm. And I think another example of where, you know, where I talk about the, the collectives are like, you know, good business practice meeting compassion. Um, I think the farm, Molecular Farms is very much like that too. They, they have just so much love of the plant and, and, you know, care about doing the right thing along with the best scientists there are on the planet. And so yeah. it just produces uh, the most wonderful product. It was a lemon crush or oh, push? Lemon crush, lemon crush, yep. And what is, uh, what is that? Is it a, a hybrid dominant? So, so lemon crush is um, a sativa dominant and um, it is a wonderful um, cultivar. Uh, and um, our, our team, I want to love to show you guys this, our, our team of scientists, uh, have created something called Phytofax, which you can now get your cannabis tested at SC Labs, and um, you will in, you will get your test results back um, that show uh, all these different terpenes on it. Um, actually, the Phytofax are are in a graph that's that's um, quicker and easier to read, but but this is just an example of all the different terpenes, and we're really trying to get away from um, indica sativa and hybrid because, um, it's just so subjective. Um, it really doesn't mean a lot. What really people have the effects with, uh, are the terpenes. And so what's really special about my flower is, um, it's ultra loaded, um, with terpenes. It's very oily, very rich in terpenes. And, um, this limonene I love, uh, it's, a um, antidepressant, uh, anti-anxiety, very uplifting, very creative. Um, but like you said, um, the other thing that I'm super excited about and, and what I feel like really is the next level of activism um, is our enhanced flowers. And our enhanced flowers are a CBD and THC um, mix 
uh, and there's many different ratios from almost no THC, very high CBD, all the way up the other way. And why I say I think this is the next level of activism is um, there's, you know, there's a lot of people that smoke cannabis out there, um, but there's actually a lot more people that don't smoke cannabis right now, um, either because they've heard of these ultra high levels of THC nowadays and they're scared of it, um, or most likely it's somebody that's had a bad experience. Um, right. There is a lot of people. I mean, I hear all the way back to, oh my God, in 1980, I ate an edible or I smoked a joint and it's, you know, never again. Um, and just to be able to talk to these people and explain, uh, we have a product that uh, that you may love. I mean, for for different reasons. Some people come in and they, they're trying to cut down on their alcohol. Um, they're trying to get off pharmaceuticals. Um, they're trying to get off cigarettes. Uh, so they're, they're coming in looking for relief. I can't sleep. I have anxiety. I, you know, it's pretty much, they come to the counter with, I, I, I need to, I have, I have this. And um, to be able to say, uh, well, I have something that you can try that you can start with. And it's um, less than 1% THC and 16% CBD. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. And then I have something that's like a 4% THC, um, a 12% uh, CBD. That's a myrcene. So that's more calming. Um, the first one that has very low THC uh, is a limonene, which is very uplifting. That's so that's something that even a smoker could get up in the morning, you use, just get that nice calmness get the sure. Um, and then go about their day, you know, uplifted. Um, this, you know, that, this is the next gen weed world. <laughs> that's, I really you know, think that that's going to open the door to a lot of people that, that didn't yeah. know that that was available for them. Hey, it's been great hearing your stories and you're just a rock star in the weed world girl and beyond because look at all the positive impact you've had on your, your community and, and, and the laws in this land that have saved people from a lot of heartache and a lot of a lot of trouble so congratulations to you we will link your contact information andre special the founding member of the americans for safe access a cannabis board member of marijuana policy project and the director of the cannabis buyers club of berkeley you've been awesome congratulations on your success and the, the big uh, turnaround in your in your life and your career awesome catching up with you thank you great America's newest and fastest-growing cannabis-focused radio network is expanding across the country and looking to add to our sales and marketing team. America's Cannabis Conversation offers listeners insight and information on the exploding world of cannabis. It also gives advertisers the opportunity to reach a hyper-targeted audience, literally neighborhood by neighborhood, in markets all across the country. We're looking for a few motivated individuals that want to essentially run their own local business. To learn more about this exciting opportunity or to apply, visit americascannabisconversation.com. Welcome back to the conversation. And joining us today is Dr. Michael Kleinhens. He's from uh, University of Kansas, and he has done some study of using hemp as a feedstock for dairy cattle and other animals. Welcome back to the program, Mike. Thanks for having me, Dan. Last time you were on, you were talking about what you're doing with cows, and I said I wanted to have you back 
and talk about what what is the next level or the next line in your research that you're going to have to take to prove your concept about about hemp being a viable source of uh, fiber and some nutrients to animals. So tell us what's, what kind of future research are you working on? Yes, so, um, so our group um, was awarded a USDA exploratory research grant um, to look at the, basically the residue or if we feed cannabinoids to cattle, um, does it enter the food supply? So does it enter into meat, does it, our muscle, um, edible, other edible tissues like liver and things like that, as well as milk. And so um, we've started down that path. Um, our first study, so to speak, to kick off the, um, our planning and experiments was to just see if we feed industrial hemp to cattle um, one single dose, can we detect it in their plasma or their blood system? Um, and so we did that late last year. Uh, and, and what we found was that, yes, if you feed um, a cow industrial hemp, specifically we used uh, the hemp flour, so, you know, the buds that most people would smoke or consume. Um, we fed them directly to a group of cows, and we found that we could detect it pretty readily and pretty fast um, in their bloodstream. And so that kind of <laughs> gave us, a, you know, you know we, we know it's there. We know it gets absorbed. Um, now we have to answer the question of where does it go when it's absorbed? Um, and, you know, if you feed, you know, feed this for multiple days, are there any ill effects? Um, are there any beneficial effects? So those are the kind of the next three things we have to start thinking about um, with feeding industrial hemp to bovines. So if I can go back to something that you said, uh, and I just want to clarify for, for the audience, uh, the last time we had you on the show, you were talking about that th- the reason why the industrial hemp made sense as a possible feedstock is it's either low cost or no cost. But you were talking about the flowers. Wouldn't the flowers, wouldn't they have already been processed by a CBD extractor and then what left is the is the used flower? Is that the crop, best way to say that? That is the best way to say it. Um, However, for our research, what we kind of wanted to simulate would be, um, you know, like a dose effect. If this animal were to be exposed to the highest levels, you know, possible, um, what does that look like? Um, Because, you know, what we'll know is, you know, extracted flour has, you know, extracted flour, other varieties that are lower in cannabinoids would have lower cannabinoid content. And so if it's Mm -hmm. lower amount going in, means there's lower amount to be absorbed um, and it should exit the system in a faster manner, essentially. But so if basically, a, if, we wanted to go worst-case scenario um, and then work, be able to work our way backwards to um, what would probably be more achievable um, or more realistic to happen in animals. But if you were, if you were looking to get this from a processor, um, would it be... Would it be unusual that a processor would want to process hemp with a low level of CBD? Wouldn't they want to extract the greatest amount of CBD oil that they could? Yes, they would. Um, they would want to extract the most they can, but um, 
they don't extract all of it. There's still some residual left in there. Right. Um, I understand. So, that. so that's where um, you know there's still that uh, you know that fear that that there might still be some of that residue available for animals to ingest. Okay. So I have a I have an idea for an experiment for you. Uh, okay. Take it. Take an a, a, an acre. Plant it with hemp. And when it starts to flower, turn in a dozen cows through and let them eat to their heart's content, and see what they do. See if they want even want to eat it. Yeah. You you think that's possible that they would not want to eat it, or they might, or you don't know. I, mean, I don't if, know. You, because if they if um, they would th- that would that would mean that the that the processor who's looking to extract the oil wouldn't have any, it would be gone. So that that it's probably 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 not a good business model just to make uh hemp into a uh, single feed. So what other things are you going to be looking for in these upcoming trials and experiments? Um so our you know our, our first series of studies was to see how long, you know, which cannabinoids are absorbed um, and which ones aren't absorbed, essentially. So what we found um, when we fed raw hemp flowers, um, you know, like CBD itself wasn't absorbed, but it's parents cannabinolic acid. So CBDA, which is the highest cannabinoid typically in most flowers, was readily absorbed um, by those by the cattle. Um, we also had some surprises. Um, a couple of the cannabinoids that when you dose it out on a milligram per kilogram basis um, were below like 0.02 milligrams per kilogram, so very small amounts. Um, but those were absorbed, and, and the plasma, they were as similar to other cannabinoids that were dosed at basically 100 times their um, equivalent. And so... We have to figure, you know, each cannabinoid is going to act on its own its own way within the body. Um, and so we have to kind of also figure out, you know, which ones are going to be readily absorbed and which ones aren't. And we're, that's also going to pose a which ones are going to enter into other tissues over other cannabinoids. Um, so, so there's a lot to figure out yet. Um, and it's so, and there's really no other data out there to extrapolate from. So we're kind of kind of on the front edge of it, um, looking into the abyss, Break, breaking, which is exciting breaking when you're new, a researcher. <laughs> sure, you're break, breaking new ground. Let me, let, me, let me ask another question. So when, when we see advertising on radio and television and newspapers and on the Internet for CBD, they talk about uh, low or no THC yes. and in, in the product. But that doesn't mean that, that – that hemp plants don't produce THC. That is correct. So when you when you get the plant from the processor, they've they've extracted as much as they can, but is the THC level going to be higher in the residuals than it would be if the, than what we would buy in the store? Are the are the animals going to get more THC? than we get in a CBD product? Uh, no. Um, it looks like when you extract those flowers, all the cannabinoids come out um, 
basically kind of in a, in a similar ratio, it looks like, um, based on some of our plant data we have. Um, and so, you know, the extracted flour fed to a bovine is going to have more THC in it. It'll have some, but it won't be as much as probably the raw flour going into it, though. So is there – are you going to be doing or looking at any research as to whether or not the hemp extracts that you're getting out of the residual of the stocks and everything else is actually – I think you said in our last show that you're looking at the – my word, not yours, but the medicinal benefits of this product so, so that they're – the residual uh, CBD in the flower or whatever may have some uh, medical benefits to the animals that are digesting the, the plants. Did I get that correct? That is correct. And we have, um, we earlier this fall, we actually did a 14-day feeding trial. So we fed um, hemp, industrial hemp flowers uh, to a group of cows. Um, and they're grain for 14 days. Um, and things we were monitoring there is, number one, if they would eat it. Um, and then also we wanted to see how if plasma, if cannabinoids basically concentrate in the body. So if, if you follow them every day, do the amount of cannabinoids detected in their plasma or blood stream increase over time. And then also um, when you stop feeding it, how long does it stay? Um, can you detect it in that bloodstream as well. And so um, preliminary results look like it doesn't really accumulate very high, um, if at all, um, and it actually leaves the body pretty fast after you could discontinue feeding, um, or leaves the bloodstream, I would say, after you discontinue feeding. Um, with that study, we also um, did, or are planning to do some um, in vitro benchtop work with the blood samples we obtained um, to see if there was any changes in biomarkers for inflammation um, or response to inflammation, essentially, um, as well as we track those animals' activity levels um, and things like that and health parameters, um, just doing phys daily physical exams on them. So um, I'm, I'm, I hope I'm not reaching here, but, but no. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to look like you are, trying to look into the future and wondering – is is there a animal medical um, opportunity to take the residual product and create some kinds of medicines that will help animals who might be uh, ill or injured or whatever? Is there is there a medical use for the hemp industrial hemp for the protection and survival of animals? Well, um, there's been some work using just uh, CBD, um, like CBD extracts um, in small room or small animals, so dogs, um, and they have found it beneficial for osteoarthritis and seizures, um, so kind of similar to humans. Um, with ruminants, we should be able to, uh, we don't typically deal with seizures um, or osteoarthritis. However, we do deal with other pain, um, you know, animals, do things, they become lame. Um, there are some illnesses in their feet that cause them to, to have some aches and pains. So um, we could use those type of animal models and see if cannabinoids 
are beneficial in those disease states. Um, and that's some future work that we hope to eventually get to. Um, but first we have to tackle the million-dollar question of is, you know, does it get into the system? How does it act in the system? And things like that. So, Terrific. Unfortunately, Michael, we're out of time. And uh, I want to thank you for joining us today. We've been speaking to Michael Kleinhens of the University of Kansas. Tell us how we can follow your work. Uh, yes, so um, we're available online at Kansas State um, University's website, so www.vet.k-state.edu. Um, our papers that we've published so far are available open access, um, and so you should be able to Google those by typing in my last name, K-L-E-I-N-H-E-N-Z, um, and entering basically cattle and industrial hemp, and um, that typically pulls them up pretty readily on Google um, or most other search engines. Super. Thank you for joining us today, Michael. I appreciate it. Thank you for letting me share our research. Certainly. And so if you uh, didn't hear all of this terrific interview with Mike, you can go to w420radionetwork.com and you can listen to this show and other shows that uh, Michael's been on and other shows on the network. w420radionetwork.com